Welcome to the Single Lady Estates podcast. My name is Bobby Wasserman, and I'm the founder of Single Lady Estates. Thank you for spending some of your time with us. Today, we are talking about advocating for yourself when it comes to mobile home real estate investing. Now, manufactured homes can get a bad rap, but here in Southern California, a manufactured home in Malibu overlooking the Pacific Ocean can go for millions of dollars, really. (laughs) And due to the high cost of housing, more people of varying incomes are exploring mobile homes for either primary or investment residences. According to the Manufactured Housing Institute, there are over 22 million people in the United States who live in manufactured homes, and the industry contributes over $31 billion to the economy. Many of these homes are located in mobile home communities, and investors can take advantage of this market by investing in individual homes or entire communities. Investors include a range of individuals, from small individual investors to large institutional investors. So today we have Haven Fund Co-Manager, Chief Financial Officer, and Chief Investment Officer, Brad Reimer. Haven Funds specifically invests in mobile home communities across the country. Brad has an extensive background with investing finance, including market intelligence, financial modeling, advanced analytics, and predictive technologies, really the backbone of investing knowledge. Welcome, Brad. Thank you very much, Bobby. And I I really do appreciate the opportunity to speak to, to you and your audience. Excellent. Brad, I know from your background that you have a great love of team sports, from playing to coaching. So what led you to a career in investing, specifically mobile home investing? Sure. I've been in commercial real estate for over 25 years. Truly, when I moved out to Denver, I had started in the industry and and just stayed with it. Just the allure of commercial real estate, the investing, finance and everything just kept me in it. And I've been on the sales side at Marcus Millichap. I've been a mortgage broker with Johnson Capital. I've been a lender, developer, owner and manager, fund executive as CFO of like almost 700 employees with the fifth largest portfolio in the country of mobile home communities. And also just my general and personal intrigue in analytics, intelligence, and, and algorithm design. I've been on all sides of it. And then now as a fund investor and fund manager. So in regards to mobile home investing, I had dabbled in MH early in 2004 on the mortgage brokerage for commercial real estate, but truly got into the focus of it with MHC, which when I say MHC, I'm saying mobile home communities. But I started in 2015 as a CFO of that portfolio and also business intelligence officer and just stuck with it ever since. In 2019, formed Cloverleaf Capital Group as investment advisor and again, back as co-manager of funds. Excellent. Excellent. So let's start with some basics of investing. First, what are some of the different considerations when you're searching for an investment versus a primary home when it comes to mobile homes? Yeah, of course. So with mobile home communities, there's several different levels. There's the community investment itself. There's the what, what is called chattel investment or chattel ownership, which is kind of an assortment or kind of a collection of mobile homes themselves, the mobile home assets that people own 
have in various communities and they collect the rent from the tenants and pay the owner of the community. And then there's obviously the individual homes themselves that you own as either a tenant or as just an individual renter of that home itself. In many communities that we've managed in the past, there have been owners of two homes, three homes in the community that were also tenants. So I think that that's really the big separation when it comes to the basics of investing in mobile home communities. Okay, great. What are some of the most common misconceptions people have about mobile or manufactured homes as residences as well as investments? I think the biggest misconception is it starts with the trailer park. And that's been what they've been called in the early days. And there's a big difference. And I guess we'll go into the difference of what we consider a mobile home community, manufactured housing community, and then a trailer park. There's slumlords and there, there are communities around the country that still maintain that negative stigma. And the sector itself is evolving. We're starting to see bigger capital, bigger equity groups and, and larger side investors really diving into the sector itself. Those are the ones that transition to the community, the manufactured housing community or manufactured housing park. The trailer park is those ugly ducklings that that still have a lot of potential. And that's what a lot of what investors are jumping into today is turning these around, removing that stigma. But truly the, the misconception is that these communities, you don't want them around. It only houses riffraff and criminals. And it's poor quality of living and it's terrible for the neighborhood. It's terrible for the municipality. We need to tear these down and just get rid of all those tenants. But what everybody is starting to realize, especially at the presidential level, the governmental level, and then within the municipalities themselves, these mobile home communities are the best option and most affordable option to alleviate the deficit that exists today with affordable housing. And it's a quality of living that is not as unattractive if you really look into general searches for affordable housing. I want to second that because being in Los Angeles, you've got the Malibu manufactured home communities that are millions of dollars. You've got in the hills above Malibu in Topanga, you've got a huge manufactured home communities. These are public people live there, celebrities live there. And then also first-time homebuyers are starting to move into these type of communities, not those particular ones I referenced, but uh, you know, there's still a half a million to three quarters of a million dollars. But here in Los Angeles, that is what you need to spend for a first-time home. And they're finding that the communities are clean and they're uh, safe. Yes, exactly. And and truly, the reality is that in today's market, you have the tiny home evolution as well. And a lot of community owners are starting to implement tiny homes as affordable options as well. But when you really dig deep and, and if you see a mobile home community and drive through it, especially the ones that are on the nicer side, but if you even look at some of the smaller ones, the tenants have a pride of ownership. They don't want criminals around. They don't want trouble around. They want quiet neighborhoods. But as I state, and I have a quote that I've put out since the early days of working at MH, the mobile home community is really just a two-dimensional apartment building. And the lot is the unit. 
But in these instances, these tenants have a opportunity to manage their own lawn. They have additional space. They have grass. They have outdoor. Plus, they have common area maintenance, right? They have their own common areas where they can all really coalesce in, as a neighborhood and have a sense of, uh, of community. Yeah. You know, when I purchased a new home uh, last summer and near the home is a manufactured home park, it's four fifty five and up. And I was a little concerned until I drove through it a few times at different times in the day. And I was stunned that, first of all, it is, you could eat off the streets in there. <laughs> it is so clean and everything is incredibly neat. Everything is painted. I mean, it was just like, wow, they're nice. And the other thing with it is that they are fierce about their security. So it's a very safe place and they've all been there a long time. So it's actually a small community within our broader community that we are fierce about protecting. Do you find that gender or age plays a role in the misconceptions people have? Not really. The stigma technically is really legacy-based. And the knowledge and the depth of knowledge that most investors and just the general public have is from what has been handed down or really the negative articles. And as we all know, media likes to feed on negativity and they like to build up these negative circumstances and present them out and negativity drives attraction. But there's no real gender or age misconception. It's just that this is changing a lot since 2012. And, and you'll even hear now in the younger investors, the notoriety and the wealth and returns that mobile home communities provide. Even at the level of a lot of your, your Bitcoin investors and, and even these portfolio and wealth managers, they're asking their agents of, of these firms to, to look into this and, and ask them about reaching out to somebody like myself about the opportunity to invest. Oh, interesting. So let's get an overview of the overall real estate market and then narrow that into mobile home investment attractiveness and strategies. Sure. I mean, obviously, we are in a recessionary cycle. It's not a secret. And most experts will tell you now today that there's expectation for a form of a true technical recession by the end of the year in 2023. Whether or not you look at the dynamics of the recession itself, they could some would argue that we are technically in one right now, but the true recession effects will be towards the end of the year. That's not my prognostication. It's really what the experts are saying, and, and it's plastered all over all financial channels. I think overall, when it comes to housing inventory and residential inventory, it's strength. I'm sitting in Florida right now, but I live in D.C., and there is just a shortage of all types of residential properties, rental or acquisition and the price points are high when you have a struggling debt market. And we are in one of those cycles as well where there's some doubts about banks. And financing is very expensive. And then there's also new policies to really spread the opportunity to acquire or rent to all sides of the income sector or the income ranges. So, you know, rental prices are drastically increases. Cost of living is increasing. And the leverage to actually buy these homes and savings is working away from each other. When it comes to mobile home community investment, it's attractive because it's recession resistant. 
just based on the composition of the sector and its inherited qualities, as we discussed earlier with the affordable living nature. And then how does mobile home investments differ from other type of residential real estate investments, especially given the cycle that we're in? Yeah. So at the end of the day, it's just a two-dimensional apartment building, right? So it is considered a multifamily investment. It's a commercial real estate investment, but all, all of that's currently constrained. Uh, all levels of commercial real estate is constrained. It's one of the most desired right now within the commercial real estate called the four or the five food groups, but self-storage and multifamily is really the safe haven right now. That's residential neighborhoods and, and just residency itself is very difficult. Rentals are difficult based on the market pricing and the shortage of inventory, but it's truly driven by market focus. So you could buy a community or focus on a, a neighborhood that's rural or suburban, and as long as the market around it can be sustainable and, and sustain occupancy, that's where you drive your investment. You keep mentioning commercial real estate. Is a investment in a mobile home community, is that considered commercial land? Or is that residential? How is that zoned? So it, it's a multifamily community. It's zoned multifamily residential or multiple residences. And in the fact that you have really a collection of lots, again, going back to that two-dimensional apartment building, it works towards, all these revenues work towards a business and in a rental community. So it's almost like a flat apartment building. Okay, I just wanted to clarify that for everyone. Yeah. My hunch is that these mobile home communities have some very interesting tenant-landlord issues. Can you talk about that a little bit? Of course. Yeah, the common issues that are prevalent in most rental scenarios transition over to mobile home communities as well. The most common you have is really with the transition in a new acquisition. Tenants are familiar with the landlord. Um, they're familiar with the pricing structure. And typically in these mismanaged or undermanaged mobile home communities, the tenants have a consistent rent. They're not bumping up with the other communities, the competitive communities in their region, and, and they're not getting charged for utilities, etc. So when a new owner comes in and has mainly other communities in the country or operates a portfolio, they have the knowledge of what's going on in the market. And, and tenants have an idea. They're not naive. They understand that they're getting a great deal in the market. And really the first hurdle is truly conveying to the tenant, hey, we're not coming in and we're not gonna bump rents beyond the market because that obviously will create a lot of dissension within the community and really create a lot of potential legal issues if you come in and just push all these rents up to a point where the tenants are angry. So that's the number one thing. I think with coming in, transitioning community, conveying to the tenants that you're going to invest in the community, you're going to make improvements, you're going to turn this thing around and, and potentially remove the, the fears, concerns, or anything that's not creating that community nature or community image because there's crime or, or just a negative stigma. So that's the first hurdle. I think most tenants are aware of what, what rents are going on around them. And also at the end of the day, when I say mismanaged, it's unfortunate, but the tenants know that they're kind of working the mom and pop owners over as well. 
So that's the main and number one issue. I mean, the other common issues are you institute utility charges. I mean, in what residential investment or residential rental environment have you ever been in that unless it's stated in the lease that your rent covers the utility and consumption that the tenants actually soak up. But how many instances where the tenants should be paying for their consumption charges, or you do and you have separate billing and it's, it's charged to you individually, like in many apartment buildings. So when you start to pass these charges back based on the tenant's consumption, it also raises a red flag and it creates a lot of concern with the tenant that you're coming in trying to push them out, where in fact, you're just saying, you're using the utility, the community has to pay it, and we don't state in our lease that those utility charges are bundled into your rent. So that's one of the biggest changes that you would, would transition when you take over a community. But you got to review all these things through the due diligence process, just like in any residential neighborhood. Evictions for non-payment and bad actors, I mean, that's another one. If people aren't paying, first of all, when you're acquiring this community, you're acquiring it for the revenues that you're gaining or that you can prove that have been obtained throughout the ownership and, and recent history. And anybody that you're buying their delinquency as well, if you overpay based on current revenues, you're buying that delinquency. And so when you try to evict somebody for not paying for six months, that's a big no-no in the tenant's eyes, but I'm sorry. They're not paying, they're not living there for free because the, the community's having to pay those expenses. The other is you know, kind of instituting a common standard of appearance. One of the things is like, again, you want to establish that this is a community, no longer a trailer park or a mobile home park or just a general negative stigma. So what you do is you say, hey, tenants, you get everybody together and you say, hey, we have a, a standard of appearance and, and the condition that the lot should be in and the home itself. And when you start to pass fines, tenants get pretty angry, but it's not like if you don't just immediately come in and say, this is how it has to look tomorrow, right? That's, that's obviously not going to happen. But if you give a year for lot upkeep and say that we're maintaining the standard and you start to pass fines, if they don't, I mean, that's again, it's about quality of living for all tenants. Again, because you're operating a community, not a single family residence, right? But it's still like HOA in any neighborhood would also pass fines to a homeowner if they were not maintaining the certain standard. So those, I think those are the biggest items. Okay, cool. And how do you protect yourself as the landlord? How do you protect yourself without spending all your profit on attorney fees? Well, for anybody that's managed mobile home communities and in truly in all multifamily or residential arena, you have to plan for a potential of an eviction. But with mobile home communities, again, if you're trying to maintain a standard, a standard set with how there's no crime and maintaining that standard of community, you have to plan for evictions. And so your plan for evictions is you want to have a general law firm, a national law firm, that's going to be able to, in bulk, handle the evictions and the evictions process across multiple municipalities. So that's the number one thing is, is you plan for it in your, in your pro forma, in your business plan. And then also it's, it, it's all about maintaining a landlord and management relationship to maintain the quality of living, you know, to keep tenants happy. And the more the tenants are happy, they're gonna self-police. 
And so as long as you're maintaining other things to reduce the opportunity or potential for lawsuits with tree branches or anything that, that what you provide the tenant in terms of infrastructure and just maintain that standard of landlord-tenant relationship, you should be fine. Excellent. Excellent. Is there any tips you might give women specifically about managing landlord relationships? Well, yeah, I mean, it's no secret that, and, and I've seen this over the past 25 years, that I find it very successful for women to to jump in, especially with commercial real estate, because it's been such a male-dominated sector for so long. And it is no secret that women are equally as successful, especially when it comes to, to residential properties. But I mean, across all sectors, it is very invigorating for me to realize the success as well. And coming up for the past 25 years with just males around, I absolutely love, and, and tip-wise, um, I, I don't, don't know if there's any specific need for a tip, women versus men. Um, I think it's the common nature of commercial real estate and residential real estate is carried across both genders. Okay, I'll take that. <laughs> when it comes to the manufacturing home investments, what other factors, if any, are playing more now into choosing a property that will be a good investment for the foreseeable future? Sure. And this is this is kind of like a broken record to me these days, but um, it, it's, it's one of my favorite topics as well when discussing the sector. There's no doubt, as me being an investment consultant and also a co-manager of a fund, and being CFO of a management company that managed 30,000 lots, I'm looking for the best price. And having a, a true idea of how these things should be operated, the sellers are being led to believe that these communities are based on the total revenue and investment prices should be based on total revenues. And the sellers have agents calling them day in, day out as the databases have grown about the 44,000 communities that exist in the country. But the sellers are being led to believe that prices will be maintained at the peak of what was mid-2022, when in fact, these prices were driven by financing. Well, as we discussed earlier, and as we all know, financing is very expensive. Interest rates are high. Back in January of 2022, I was seeing interest rates for mobile home communities at 3.5%. By the end of the year, it was 7 right? And so the sellers are still expecting these low cap rates on these investments based on the home and or combined revenue of the communities, or the combined profit. And that's not how it works. So the sellers are starting to bring their expectations back, but... When in fact you have agents that are using comps, and again, this is real estate. We're talking about real estate investment. It doesn't matter if it's commercial or residential. Comps are what lead people to believe they can list and achieve price points. But it's also driven if your presentation on an investment is based on, especially the price point, is based on a levered return. Well, if you can't achieve effective leverage where it was at these price points in 2022, then sellers need to bring it back. But how is a seller's agent going to try to pitch, hey, you need to bring your price point down, right? So that's been the most detrimental element to the current market. 
and it's not going anywhere. I mean, I is I've been in finance for commercial real estate for for several years and working with finance. This is going to be a cycle. It's going to be more consolidated than than typical based on the fact that there is inflation, but with inflation, there's also there's not as many job losses, right? There's not as many layoffs and there are still are increases in salaries. So it's going to be a consolidated cycle based on the general mechanics of, of what even the experts say. But there's still an existing affordable housing shortage. There's a housing shortage in itself. So there's going to be a lot of prosperity, as we mentioned earlier as well. This is a recession resistant sector. And so there's going to be affordable housing and this is the cheapest option available today. It's just removing that stigma. So there's a lot of resilience with mobile home communities, but there's still a lot of education and familiarity to be made too. Uh, what type of financing is available for mobile community investing? It would be the same as more traditional residential financing? Technically, it's not. And even at the banking level, banking and, and credit unions are your best option for anything really $2 million and under. I would say actually a million and a half and under for mobile home community investments. So those credit unions and banks are obviously kind of holding everything close to the best. They're a little protective and it's always been difficult. It doesn't matter with a large portfolio or first time investor. It's always been difficult to get banks and the chair people that make the decision, right? It's hard to get them over that stigma. And if they don't understand mobile home community investment and they haven't kept themselves up with all this recent increase in the evolution of the sector itself, then it's very difficult to get the financing. And now in this consolidated and strained banking market and lending market, it's even harder for them to get an extension on a deal that they don't have an understanding of. So you're talking about still maybe max, unless you're going with the best deals, you're looking at a 70% and your underwriting should as well, but you're looking at a 70% loan to value with higher interest rates, five and a half, six percent And the amortization is truly the driving factor on the debt service coverage ratio. But when you're talking about higher interest rates, lower amortization and lower LTV, it's very difficult to make sense of that investment. Yeah. Can you share some tips for negotiating a good deal on an investment property in this sector? Yes. I would say number one tip is you have to at least train your eye in the investment if you haven't been in the sector itself. Mobile home communities are a completely different animal when it comes to real estate because it's truly a business acquisition versus a real estate acquisition. What I mean by that is the real estate truly is the land and the infrastructure where the homes sit on. That's the real estate component. The home side of it is a completely different operation. The home operations is a certain amount of revenue and profit, and they have their own expenses. The community side of it, again, the land, the infrastructure, and the rentals and all that has its own revenue and its own expenses and own profits. And combined, that is the combined revenue that agents and real estate agents are pushing on value. But at the end of the day, appraisers only look at the valuation of the land and infrastructure and lot income. That's also what leverage is based on. The home operations 
it's kind of like you're taking and creating two different dimensions on this piece of acquisition. And so you're buying the home operations with the community operations and, and truly investing in these mobile home communities are that first piece of knowledge, which can be extended. And I would always recommend doing a bunch of research if you're a first time investor or partnering with somebody who's been in this or just investing in funds like Haven Fund 2 that we just recently started if you want to, to get into the sector, because it truly is not the traditional real estate investment. It is a business acquisition. You're buying the home business with the community, the, the real estate itself. Okay, great. That's fantastic. I think that that's where hearing you talk, that brings it all together now. Now I understand like part of the answers were residential and commercial. Now it's like you see that it's this joint venture and joint investment. So Brad, are there three tips that you can leave with our audience on investing in mobile homes from a position of strength? I think you mentioned uh, one of them was the Haven Fund <laughs> that just opened. But what should people know in general? I think number one is just understanding that when, when we come out of this current cycle, which is, again, I, I believe it's an accordion scale cycle of about two years. And, and technically speaking, the dynamics based on what's going on with the government, layoffs, inflation, et cetera, I think we're going to escape out of this within two years. And at that point in time, you'll start to see recovery in interest rates, leverage, familiarity, and, and looser underwriting terms. But I would say three tips would be invest in this wisely. Definitely get in and educate yourself on what you're investing into. And I think with the abundance of capital and right now, housing your liquidity or investment capabilities in a banking environment or, or a stock market, right? Or something like that is always lucrative, but diversification is the number one thing. If you're going to dive in and start to maximize your returns, especially with something that you're unfamiliar with, like mobile home communities, if you haven't invested before, educate, learn, research, do mobile home university is great out there run by Frank Rolfe and Dave Reynolds. Go through the boot camps, learn about this. See if it's something that is within your strike zone, within with something that that you you want to be familiar with and passionate about. But that's all. That's across all investors, right? I think number two tip is when you go into this, understand that this investment is probably going to be five year window. What's your five year business plan? It's not the same thing as a six month business plan when you go to turn around a single family residence, right? So know your business plan. Understand that. The peak value is going to be in two to three years when a lot of these communities have now been soaked up and they've been turned around and debt becomes more favorable and acquisitions are going to be through the roof. I would say the third biggest tip is understanding on the accounting level how these two operations work and, and truly how this separates itself from commercial real estate and really is its own animal. That's terrific. Those are incredible tips. I really want to thank you for your time and your insight. And this has just been really good information and a complete deep dive that really allows people to at least start thinking about investing in these communities and how to position yourself for success when you're investing. Are there any final thoughts and where can people find you? Thank you very much. It was my pleasure to be part of this and, and the invite 
it warms my heart. And I'm looking forward to future opportunities where I can be available to, to yourself or to any of your followers to discuss. And how this is possible is obviously Haven Capital Ventures has Haven Fund 2. And you can reach me, whether it's Cloverleaf Capital Group as an investment advisor and kind of interim CFO during your investment process. But you can always reach me on my mobile at 303-525-4850. Or you can reach me via email at bradley.reimer at havencapitalventures.com. Thank you all for listening to the Single Lady Estates podcast. To learn more about what Brad discussed and to join our community, go to our website at singleladiestates.com. Be sure to connect and engage with our community and subscribe to our podcast. Thank you, everyone. Have a great day.